0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Fourth and a half yard at the six of Colorado. Now it's going to be an empty set. Snap back, Adrian's going to run off the right side. He's in there for a first down. He's in there for a touchdown. Nebraska takes the lead back here at Pulsome Field. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. It's a Friday. You made it to another weekend. Congratulations. The final weekend without Big Ten football. That sounds really good, right? I mean, every weekend from now until Christmas, Ben McLaughlin, Big Ten football on the schedule. Gotta love it. How about that? I'm not complaining about that. It's a good little deal right there. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you tonight. We're going to hear from Austin Allen, Husker Jr. Tight in from Aurora. He's going to join Ben at a chance to catch up with him earlier this week. We'll get his feeling for how camp has been going, his thoughts about this offense and a lot of other little things to so hear from Austin coming up in a few minutes. Hour number two, we'll go through our top 25 picks for the week. Some really interesting matchups, including a big-time slugfest set for tomorrow night in Tuscaloosa. As Alabama set to host Georgia in a rare regular season matchup between the dogs and the Crimson Tide. We'll pick that game and all the top twenty-five games a little bit later on in hour number two. Ian Rappaport will be here for his weekly update on the National Football League. More problems for the Patriots. They had to shut their facility down again today. We'll see what that might mean for their game scheduled this weekend with the Denver Broncos. So all that coming up in hour number two. We'll have our weekend preview. I look back at all the great guests we've had here on Sports Online during the week with our Week in Review, and we'll have our winners and losers of the week coming up at the end of the hour, uh, hour three. And, as always, phone lines open and available for you at 531-500-4686. You can also utilize that very same set of numbers for our U.S. Segator text line. Proud to of be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Segator connecting. Oscar Nation. Well, Tim had this in the ticker that the Big Ten Conference late this afternoon has put out their preseason honorees, five from each division. The Big Ten does things differently. They don't put out an all-conference preseason team. They don't put out an all-conference ballot with uh, the rankings of the teams. But they do put, put the top five. <laughs> Five, and I don't even know why they how they pick five, but they picked the top five guys in each division uh, to go uh, to keep an eye out in both the East and the West, and their their picks a little different than than what I would have anticipated. Let me give you the East first: Quiddie Pay, the defensive lineman from Michigan, and then three Buckeyes: Wyatt Davis, the offensive lineman; Justin Fields, the quarterback; Sean Way, the DB and Pat Fremorth, the tight end from Penn State. I don't really see anything glaring there. I think they did a pretty good job in the East. You got any qualms with anybody in the East that's not on there or that is on there? No, I think all those guys
1: are first-round picks. Fryermuth maybe not a slam dunk to go in the first round, but, yeah, he's a late late first, early second-type talent, so, no, I don't have any problems
0: with those. Okay, On the West, Rashad Bateman, who has opted back in, the wide receiver from Minnesota, the quarterback for the Gophers, Tanner Morgan, Patty Fisher, the linebacker for Northwestern, Rondale Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue, and Jack Sanborn, the linebacker for Wisconsin. Your thoughts about the five that they have put out there for the West? Yeah, I mean, in the similar case to the East, I
1: think Bateman and, and Rondale, not just because of where they're projected to be drafted, but – excitable players I think Um, you know they're enough to to hold your attention if you're just a casual college football fan and you're watching Purdue and Minnesota play those are the two guys you probably pick out Um, Sanborn's an interesting selection because you know he's going to have to you know require a certain level of um, projection I I suppose I mean I I know he played a lot last year and I actually just rewatched the Nebraska-Wisconsin game today from last year, and he was the one that was the beneficiary to that unfortunate interception Adrian threw last year. But I do think that, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a player for Wisconsin's defense that's going to need to be a rock, and they're probably projecting uh, that to be the case. And who was the fifth one? Who am I missing? Tanner Morgan. Tanner Morgan, yeah, that's – that's that's probably not one I would I would have picked. Uh, I know he had a really good year last year. Uh, I mean, throwing to Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman definitely help. I don't know. I think I think that, that he's probably in my next group, in my next tier. Me, Patty me Fisher. Too. Patty Fisher has earned a spot on that list. He's got you know a billion tackles yeah. in his career. I don't think he's as flashy as those other guys in terms of uh, future in the NFL. He will be an NFL player. Um, and how about that? How about if, if Patty Fisher finds himself on a roster? You have Anthony Walker, who is a stud for the Colts, and Patty Fisher, two you know, high, highly thought-of linebackers um, in
0: Northwestern history. But, yeah, Tanner Morgan's interesting. I don't know that that's the one I would have picked. To me, the, you've got some really good offensive linemen in the West, particularly Wisconsin and Iowa, and no offensive lineman among the top five players picked for the division. I, I, You know, whether it's Alaric Jackson, the tackle for Iowa, their center for Iowa, who everybody has as a first or second team All-American, or Cole Van Lannon, the big offensive tackle for the Badgers, kind of feel like you ought to have an offensive lineman represented in the West, which has such really good offensive lines at several different schools. I, I think I would have leaned more them than Tanner Morgan in particular, and maybe even Patty Fisher to a certain degree. I have no problems with Bateman or Rondale Moore. Sandboard's a really good linebacker. I, I just think the absence of one offensive lineman, a little odd, but, hey, this it's not that big a deal. It's, it's a Big Ten way of doing things. I, I don't know why you just don't yeah. put out a preseason
1: all-conference list. I, 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 just, I don't know. They, they never have. Hard it's to just do? weird.
0: Yeah. You know, you, you see this, and then – and I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying – then you go to women's basketball, and they have a first team of, like, 10 or 12 players on the first team. So you're yeah. like, okay, you do that. And in football, you're given five guys in each division. It, it just, It's just crazy. All right, Northwestern in the news today and not in something that you probably, if you're Pat Fitzgerald, you love, you understand, but you don't love, as they have had several players who have opted not to play this year, and they're good players. Defensive lineman Sam Dup-Miller, who's a starter, quarterback Aiden Smith, who played some last year, he definitely was going to back up Patrick Ramsey and probably even... Trent Green's kid. He probably was running third string. Safety Travis Willock, who was a starter, and tight end Jason Whitaker have elected not to participate um, this year because of COVID, and is trying to evaluate their own personal lives at this thing. And you understand this, but with Miller, the defensive lineman, and Willock, the safety, those are two probably starters for the Cats on defense with a week out and maybe they made this decision a while back and Northwestern's just announcing it now, but you know, you're eight days from kickoff and all of a sudden you, you lose a couple of pretty key parts to Northwestern's football team. That, that, that's going to be hurtful to the cats.
1: That's, that's what I was going to say is I, I I'm curious to know more about the timing. I, I, I can't imagine these, these guys made this decision today, you know, when we're, as you said, just over a week away from the season if that is the case, I'm imagining how that's going to go and what type of conversation that that had with Pat Fitzgerald. I can't imagine that was something that went overly smooth. But, uh, yeah, that's that that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt the cats for sure. You know, I, in, a, in a day and age where you're going to need all the players that you can get, especially if you start getting some positive cases, um, it's going to be a tough, tough thing to have to come back from. But uh, I'm hoping to not – wake up to any of the those kinds of news or stories on our side with Nebraska because, I mean, you, even, even if that happens to be in a position in which you're deep, you're putting yourself in a hole by taking some of those guys off the table before
0: you even tee the ball up. You know, a lot of programs aren't that deep. They're final on their front line guys. You take two off your first unit on defense, that that's a blow. And Northwestern's going to be really good on that side of the ball – uh, that, that hurts, kind of carving out two more of those. All quiet on the Husker front today. No media availability for the Big Red. The next media availability will be Monday. There will be players available Monday, and it will be the weekly pre- start of the weekly press conferences with the head coach. Those will not be in person. Those will be via Zoom, which is pretty much everything right now uh, in our society. Everything's Zoomed. So uh, we'll have reaction to all that for you on Monday night's program as we get officially into game week next week for the Cornhuskers. I mentioned this is the last weekend without Big Ten football. A week from today, you do have a game. You have Wisconsin hosting Illinois in a Friday night game, and then the Huskers get going at 11 a.m. on Saturday. There's a couple of 11 a.m. games in the league next week. Huskers 11 with our pregame coverage beginning at 6. Can't wait. I'm sure the players can't wait. I mean, camp is kind of over, right? I mean, Eric Shenander, even last night with us on our football show, did say that they started running scout team work yesterday in practice so that means the attention is turned away from working on yourself and doing those type of things and start to game plan for a team and it does it's it does flip a switch it does change the mentality of practice to a certain degree but at some point in time you have to turn and start looking at your upcoming game and that that has happened for Nebraska to get ready for Ohio State um, next Saturday so as as I asked Eric Shenander I go you have not officially put out a depth chart We all kind of have our thoughts of what that might look like. I said, do the players know? He said, yeah, they do. They know now where they stand. Are they first, second, third, beyond? They have a good idea. He says, that's not set in stone. Obviously, you can pout and not make your chance to push on up, but injuries are going to happen. You can still compete, and maybe you overtake somebody as it gets going. But uh, at some point in time, you had to make those decisions, right? I mean, you had to kind of figure this all out. I'm still really curious – where that running back. We're, who's backing up Diedrich? Who, who's two and three? A lot of people been speculating that it's Ronald Tompkins. I'd be pretty excited if that's the case, and he's a guy we see carry the ball a few times against the Buckeyes next week, really pulling for that young man out of Georgia. I think there are a couple of guys that are probably going to get carries. I, I don't
1: know that it's just going to they're just going to lean on a number two and say, okay, well, this guy is going to be it until someone knocks him off. I think they're probably going to try a few of them out. Um, Ramir Johnson, I think, is probably going to get a, a good look too. You know, slide him in there. I know that last year was really tough trying to decide when and where to use him, how much to use him. Uh, those are those a slippery slope. You don't have to do that this year. But I'm with you on Tompkins. That kid's been through so much. We've talked about his story a lot the last few weeks, and given my thoughts on him already. But to see him have success, particularly early in the season, would be such a, a feel-good story. And, and a satisfying story and you know you, just from the from the personal aspect you know from a team aspect you know if he starts to develop into a you know a bona fide running back and, and dips back into that talent that he had at Grayson high school you're going to feel really good about what type of pieces Nebraska has back there because we all loved his, his tape coming out of high school and, and what he was able to put on film the, the one thing was can he stay healthy and I do hope to see a healthy Ronald Tompkins out there at some point, maybe as soon as Ohio State.
0: Yeah, Ramirez, a guy you're going to want to get out on the edge, maybe even a situational back where you're in an obvious passing situation. He's certainly a weapon to get the ball in the flat to and let him try to go and Use his speed because he is one of the faster guys on this football team. Baseball playoffs underway. you got game six going on with the Rays and the Astros. Tampa leads at 1-0. They are in the third. If the Rays win that, it that is over. They're on the World Series. The Houston Astros, who've won the last two, need to keep winning because they're still facing elimination. And later tonight, the Braves can finish off the Dodgers. Impressive last night. Atlanta put it on. L.A. late wins that game and now goes up 3-1 they now are can close out the dodgers tonight so the dodgers facing elimination uh, in that that game gets going in about an hour we have a couple of top 25 football teams in action tonight 16th ranked smu losing right now to tulane 14 to 10 and byu plays uh, later on the night against houston on the road byu's been very impressive early in the season although they, just kind of held on to beat UTSA last week by a touchdown out in Provo. So they didn't play their best a week ago. 1st They're back on the road uh, playing Houston tonight. He's only playing their second game of the year. So quite a bit of sports happening uh, around the country tonight. We'll keep an eye on that as we move our way through the show. All right, that's what we're dealing with here on the program tonight. When we come back, Ben's conversation with Austin Allen. That's straight ahead. Off and rolling on a
1: sports nightly Friday night. Ben McLaughlin with you. Thanks to everybody for spending part of your Friday evening here with us. You've made it through another week, most of you. We've got you for the next two and a half hours here on sports nightly. Talked a little bit about some of the Big Ten names around college football that were released and honored by the conference today. And we'll narrow that focus a little bit more to the Husker perspective and in particular the tight end position as earlier this week following practice was able to get a few minutes with Nebraska tight end Austin Allen who is seeing his role grow more and more the older he gets in Scott Frost's offense. Begin our conversation by asking Austin just what it felt like to be back at the practice field having the pads on, hitting, and getting ready for Ohio State in just over a week.
2: Yeah, it seems like um, it's not. Far away, it's, it's been a surreal feeling. We've rode a roller coaster of emotions the last couple months of we're not playing, we're playing. And now uh, we got we got a schedule at hand, and it's, it's, it's crazy that we're 10 days away from going up to Columbus.
1: How are you feeling right now? I feel like you know, you've know you had enough of the, the dip the toe in the water, the experience under your belt, so to speak, to where you're, you're, you're it's kind of full go for you right now. How does it feel to just kind of be in the thick of it, not really in the learning mode anymore, as opposed to just going out and playing football?
2: Yeah, that's, it's, it's been super beneficial for me. to Year three now, I, I have a full understanding of the offense. And um, this year, this, this fall camp feels like um, Frost has upped our conditioning. And I think that's beneficial for me um, because I feel like I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. And, and I can apply my my knowledge of what I need to do in the offense. Year three now, I have full understanding of it. With conditioning it feels like I I can go through an eight play drive now and not feel like laggy at the end of tired uh being tired. So I think that's one thing I'm super excited to to, to get out on the field for is to, to showcase what I got um based on how well conditioned I am.
1: How how big of an adjustment has that been for you? Really going back since the injury in high school, I mean you you've you've this has been a slow progression probably to get to this point right now with not only rehabbing but then you know the off season with weight training and you know eating the right foods and you know it's been it's, it seems like this has been a three-year process almost to get to where you're at
2: yeah it's getting getting hurt is obviously not um ideal for anybody um it's 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 just a bad uphill battle that one in high school sent me back a little bit but what only thing you can do is um just 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 step off off that stone and jump off of it and this, this offseason just now, I had shoulder surgery. That set me back just a little bit. But uh, the trainers got me great in rehab. Uh, uh, we, it was a little stepping stone just powered off of it. Um, and we're, we're, we're treading water now. We're, we're going.
1: I'm going to be honest, man. I'm in love with your position group. I think that th- that this, this group of guys could really help this offense. And you guys can do so many different things. Each one of you possesses a different skill. Give us a sense of what this room is really like just on a day-to-day basis with the personalities, with how you all ended up here, and, and what hopefully you're going to bring to the table this year.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see these guys go out on the field and play because all we've done as a unit is, is grind together. We, we, we're in the weight room every day. We're, we're getting better, faster, and stronger. We're, on the weekends, we're hanging out. We're learning football. We're having fun. Um, it's, it's, I'm excited to see what these guys can do because those are my brothers. Um, we've grown closer and closer, so it's, I can comfortably, comfortably say we're brothers. We're, we're tight. We're a tight-knit group. Um, we got four guys with a lot of college football experience. Um, I think our position group on the offense is the leading group leaders. We're the leaders of this offense, and we're going to go out and show it this year, and I'm, I'm confident in that.
1: Austin, we haven't had a chance to see Travis play or really get to know him too much. What What, what is he like? You know, what, what, what is his skill set to this offense? What does he bring in terms of experience? And what type of guy is he?
2: Yeah, he's been one of my closest buddies on the team. It's just growing stronger and stronger. So I'm really close with Travis. I'm excited to see what Travis got. Because when Travis first got here, he was a little raw from Rutgers, so to say. His, his technique in the run game was a little e. Eh. But Coach Beck with a redshirt year last year, Coach Beck has got Travis right. His technique has gotten so much better. When he's 6'7", 265, he's got a frame and a body to, to showcase what he's got in the run game and the pass game, everything. And he, his, his details and his technique in the run game and pass game has gotten so much better. I'm super excited to see my brother go out there and play. Um, he's going to do some great things for us.
1: There is a lot of excitement around the tight end position right now, Austin, not only for what you have, but what this coach's staff is doing in recruiting. I don't want to get into the future too much. I want to focus on on this group right now with with what you guys have in the room. But how would you describe to those wondering out there and so excited about the tight end position, how Nebraska wants to use their tight ends? I feel like we've seen the staff do so many creative things with, with your position. What, what I, I suppose, how, do, do the tight ends, how do they fit in the offense? And what, what is the ultimate objective with what they're trying to do with you guys.
2: Yeah. So so in the past, we've obviously had some here plays here and there to where um, the tight ends getting a little cheese, getting a little little action in the in the past game. But the thing I love about Coach Lubick coming in is he loves big body football players. He loves using the tight ends. He loves us in the red zone. He loves just the tight ends in general. And that's that's love as a tight end hearing that I love that. And I know since we got four guys in the tight end room that can go out there and just ball. That's awesome to hear. I think the tight ends are going to love what we got this year. Or I think the fans are going to love what the tight end room has this year. And we can't wait to go out and showcase it.
1: What's it been like learning from Coach Lubick? I know there's always a bit of an adjustment anytime a new coach is brought in, let alone an, an OC. Uh, new terminology, new philosophy. Talked to a couple of your teammates. They, they talk about how flamboyant he is. Every time a play works, he's the one celebrating. What, what's it been like getting, getting used to a new offensive coordinator and, and his way of thinking?
2: Yeah, so, so if I remember right, he was with Frost a couple years, or some years ago um, at Oregon, and so he has he has a background in this offense, obviously, and he's gone um, a couple other places in between there. But lately, it's been a refresher for Coach Lubick to, to refresh his mind on this offense, and the stuff that he's applied from what he learned in Washington and everywhere else he's been in between to this offense has been awesome, and... Uh, to, to, to bounce off of his enthusiasm in practice. You could, you could point it out on every single play at practice. When, uh, when when a play works, he's the first one to stick his hands right in the air. Everything. And he'll throw his hand in, in excitement. And he's, he's very enthusiastic, and he, he loves this offense. He loves his team. And it's, it's going to be exciting to, to see what he's got for us this year. Austin,
1: awesome. I've talked to probably seven or eight of your teammates over the last couple of weeks. And something that I've asked each one I'm going to ask you right now is, is last year and i know i don't want to get too much into you know all all the the things that went into last year and and the results but i know going back and rewatching the games, and I'm sure you going back and watching the film, it just triggers how close this team was to having a completely different record. And, I mean, you can point to two or three plays on four or five of those games, and and Nebraska's competing for a Big Ten West title. That's how close it was in certain instances. What do you take from that, knowing how close this team was, but also knowing that, you know, there might be 160, 170 plays in a game, and three or four of them are going to determine the outcome, what you have to do to make those plays when they when they arise and, and ultimately be the one that makes the winning plays when it matters.
2: Yeah. So on last year a little bit, I think our lack of attention to detail killed us a little bit um, in those games. And I remember I remember specifically after the Iowa game, losing that close, looking around at my brothers in the tight end room and, and seeing their faces of how close we actually were to defeating our rival in Iowa. And I, I, I told myself I never want to see that look in their faces again. So we're going to do everything possible to grind this offseason, this fall camp, to never see that face, to, ever, to never see that look again. And I think that's the consensus across the whole football team that we don't want to have that feeling ever again. And our attention to detail has to be greater than it's ever been. And when we hone in on those details, our offense clicks. And that's evident in the practice and the scrimmages that we've had. Um, so I'm excited to see that.
1: Before we let you go, you mentioned making the offense click. The big part of that's your quarterback. What have you seen out of both Adrian and Luke that's going to give you confidence of of what what they can do, and you know, in those crunch time moments, or even just you know, in the in the 60 minutes that you're out there, you're trusting them, uh, both Adrian and Luke, to that that you know this thing's going to work, and you know they're going to engineer an efficient offense.
2: Yeah. So Adrian's a great athlete. He's he's been doing great things for us. He he. Uh, He's learning. He's learned from what, how, what he's, what stuff he did wrong last year. What stuff he did right. He's growing to be a great quarterback. Uh, he's been doing great things for us. And Luke, Luke is, uh, has grown exponentially in what he's in, the, in this fall camp, and it's been evident across the offense. He things are clicking when he's when he's back there along with Adrian. Um, I feel comfortable with both those guys back there. It's great competition in the quarterback room, and that's going to make us all better. Um with, with Luke right on Adrian's tail, that's going to make Adrian better. It's going to make Luke better. He's going to be – Luke chasing him. It's, it's, it's promising to see that we got two guys I'm, I'm super comfortable back there um, running this offense.
1: Austin, awesome. I'll let you go with this one. You're going up against your defense every single day, and, and I'm intrigued to see how that matchup's going. What, what do you think of uh, some of the new faces that you're, you're going up against on the defense, and who's kind of stuck out on that side of the ball that is going to give you confidence when you're on the sideline watching that defense?
2: Yeah, so I I do see a lot of new faces on the defense. Um, but like it, it's been for the last couple of years, JoJo, JoJo's a menace. JoJo's <laughs> one of the hardest guys I've ever had to block in my life, any team, anywhere. Um, and in the, in the in the middle linebackers, Will Honus has been a madman. He, he's putting guys on their backs. He's just running people over. I know firsthand he, he popped my head back a little bit. He's a brick house, and he, he's – He's he's one of the fastest. I think he had the fastest pro agility time in our training, um, in the off season. Off season. So his his lateral quickness is awesome, and when he applies that with the size that he has at middle linebacker, he's he's a specimen. He's a great great football player, and that's that's been promising to me.
1: Can't wait to see it all unfold, offense, defense, at all. It's been a long offseason for us all, and can't wait to see how this thing looks at the horseshoe against the Buckeyes. Austin, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes. Keep that body right. Look forward to seeing out there against Ohio State. Thanks a lot, man.
2: Appreciate you. Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Thank you. Austin Allen, Nebraska tight end with us here on Sports Nightly. Uh, Really appreciate him giving us a few minutes, and, yeah, interesting to hear him call out JoJo Doman and, and Will Honas names uh, there at the end for sticking out as defensive guys that have been given given the offense some problems and let's hope
0: that continues uh, with Ohio State as well here we are we're back our number two on a Friday night sports island here on the Husker Sports Network hope you had a good week into the weekend we go supposed to be nice weather tomorrow maybe some snow around parts of the state Saturday night into Sunday how about that oh my goodness crazy stuff all right coming up this hour we're gonna have our top 25 picks of the week and then Ian Rapaport, the NFL Network will join us later on in the hour we'll even have some open phones for you later on in the hour as well but let's uh, get an update on how we did last week Tim Curran how how did the how did we all fare and what's our seasonal average right now well some some did better than others um I did better than others actually in fact I'm, I'm
3: proud to tout that fact um Last week, Josh and I both went nine of eleven, leading the pack. Uh, Greg, you went eight of eleven. Ben, just a paltry six of eleven. Uh, While well, Austin kind of split the difference, he went eight of eleven as well. Um, everyone got tripped up on the Gators, besides yours truly. I picked uh, with the Aggies. Giggum, uh, Ben, you unfortunately went for VaTech when North Carolina were the winners. Everyone screwed up with LSU. We did not see Mizzou coming. Uh, but Bo Pelini was there to ensure that LSU would not have a favorable result. Uh, Red River, Josh was the only one who didn't doubt the Sooners. We all thought Texas was back. Well, uh, they aren't. Uh, and then the other game that tripped uh, people up was just Ben on Texas Tech. It was ISU that came through. So there we have it. Uh, for the season totals, uh, Josh is in first place, 47-59. I'm right behind him at 46-59. of 59. Then it goes Greg at 45 of 59, and then Ben and Austin are tied at 43 of 59, bringing up the rear. So there is the
0: totals. It's interesting it's better. how different um, our standings are for buy-sell to pit football picks. <laughs> it's like flipped. It's like the exact I took some shots order. on some upsets last week, and it came back to bite me. So Yeah. yeah. Misery loves
4: company. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, let's get going. And, Ben, I'm going to throw this one in here. SMU Tulane tied at 17. All SMU ranked 17th in the country, early third quarter. How do you see the second half going? Who you got in the second half of a tie game? Haven't watched a second of it,
1: so any uh, any analysis I give of the first half would be incorrect. So um, I know Tulane's not bad. They're solid. They've, they've played some teams tough this year. I'll take the ponies, though. I'll, I'll, I'm going to ride the favorite in this one.
3: Tim? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Ponies as well, although I am definitely apprehensive about picking against the Green Wave, but uh, I do think I'm going to have to side with SMU. They bit me uh, the other week when they uh, beat Memphis. I I fully expected the Tigers to win that one, so I I ain't siding against the Ponies again. Give me SMU.
0: Okay, Austin.
4: Tulane's played pretty well. We've had it on back in the studio in the first half, but I, I got to take SMU in this one. I think they just have a little bit too much on the offensive end. I think they pull away in the fourth quarter.
0: I think it's going to be close. Tulane had that big lead earlier in the year at home against Navy and blew it. Navy came back. Navy's not having a very good year. SMU's the better team. I'll go with the Ponies. All right, Tim, later on the night, 14th-ranked BYU 4-0 on the road at Houston to take on the Cougars. This is only their second game. BYU favored by three and a half. Yeah, that line is interesting to me. I know Houston's a solid program, but
3: only that one game under their belt. BYU's been playing solidly enough to where I'm not going to pick against uh, them. So Brigham Young University getting the dub in this one tonight, I believe.
4: Awesome. Three and a half. That line is really tight, and I tend to lean toward the home team in this one. But I think I'll end up taking BYU. I think it's a fun game. I think there's a lot of points, but I think the Mormon missile, Zach Wilson pulls it out for the Cougs late. Austin, you were so close to being right. Home team, narrow line,
0: go home team, take the points. I got Houston <laughs> in an upset tonight. Ben, Ooh. yeah, I think you know after last week's result, I'm a little more
1: hesitant of just automatically pulling the trigger on the Mormon missile, as Austin said. I that was a little bit of a wake up call. They they've looked really good up until last week and. You even have some some talking heads nationally thinking that they've got a shot at a, at a playoff. I don't think they're that good. I definitely think Houston's going to give them problems and score a bunch of points. Um, I, I can definitely see that being the case. I'm going to ride with BYU. I'm, I'm not going to leave the hot table. I'm going sti- to I'm going to stick at the hot table until I until I crap out. So I'm going to I'm going
0: to say BYU one more week, but this could be the last could be the last week I'm on the Cougar train. Okay. Tomorrow, 11 o'clock, number one, Clemson at Georgia Tech. Two and two is the Ramblin' Wreck. Clemson a four-touchdown favorite. Austin, what do you got?
4: I don't think it's four touchdowns. I think Georgia Tech's a little bit better than that. I wouldn't. It's going to be multiple scores, but Clemson has too much. They're riding high off that win over Miami. I think Clemson rolls, but not quite by four touchdowns.
0: Clemson always seems to struggle in a game you don't think that they would. This could be one of those coming off the emotional win over Miami, but even if they are, they're still good enough to win this one. I've got the Tigers. Yeah, the Virginia game was kind of that for me. I expected them to
1: to boat race those guys. It didn't really happen. Um, I think they're very confident after, after beating Miami last week, and as I've been saying with Clemson, my only worry for them is do they get bored? I mean, are they just kind of counting down the days until – uh, the the postseason, I I think we're 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 approaching that territory again. I think four scores is probably about right. Uh, you know, if you're making me choose right now, I I think I, I think I'm going to say the Yellow Jackets cover, but the fact that I'm you know up in the air on that is should, tells me that Clemson's going to win and win handily.
3: Yeah, Georgia Tech they might be uh, a heck of an engineer, but I uh, don't think they're going to be so good at football on the gridiron on Saturday. Give me the Tigers, and maybe Georgia Tech makes it interesting
0: for a moment or two, but uh, Clemson, and they're going to roll. Okay. Miami hosts Pittsburgh. Boy, Pittsburgh stumbled a couple times the last few weeks. Now just three and two are the Panthers. Miami lost for the first time last Saturday night to Clemson in the rain. 13th-ranked Canes, favored by 13. That's about right. Miami wins this one. Ben? I think Pitt covers that. Um, I, I, I'm not as as
1: high on Miami as as I thought I was. I, I do think that they're they're solid. I think they're a good team. Obviously, De'Aaron King's made them a significantly better football team at quarterback and just all the way around than we've seen from Miami in the past. So I'll say, Canes um, confidence level is only about a
3: six out of ten. Though I'm not I'm not utterly confident that they're just going to go roll Pitt. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not too high on, on Pitt. I was, I was big on them on the beginning of the season. I was like one of the few people that actually picked them to beat one of their earlier matchups. I'm struggling to remember what that was now. But as begrudgingly uh, as it is for me to admit, I, I do think the Hurricanes are a solid football program. Uh, I think uh, Coach Diaz is, is kind of a eh, – well, maybe I'll, I won't say exactly what I think of him on this year program family show. But uh, give me the Hurricanes, and I think they'll probably win this one fairly comfortably – uh, even if Pitt
0: makes it somewhat close.
4: Kenny Pickett is no Trevor Lawrence. That's my statement on this game. Give me the Canes.
0: Okay. All right, Ben, 15th ranked Auburn after a gift from the officials last week to beat Arkansas on the road at South Carolina. And the Tigers, a three-point road favorite. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting game.
1: I like Shai Smith a lot. I think he he is a an interesting Debo Samuel type player that we've seen come out of South Carolina that could give Auburn problems. Haven't been impressed with the Tigers this year. I I, I just I haven't. And then last week, you're right. That was definitely a gift. They should have lost that football game, and you know been pretty much knocked out of the SEC West at that point. Um. My my guts telling me Auburn's gonna win. My my. More I think about it, I think South Carolina may be poised to pull an upset. I picked too many upsets last week, so I'll take the home team, or I'll take the, the favorite here in, in Auburn.
3: Confidence level isn't high at all, though. Bo Nix needs to play better. Yeah, I don't like this matchup at all. Uh, I, think, I think I'm going to have to side with uh, Gus Malzahn's sweater vests and,
4: and, and the Auburn Tigers here, but uh, I don't like it at all. But Auburn by a very slim margin. I think last week stealed Auburn. They're not going to overlook anyone, so I think the Tigers come out and they cover.
0: Home favorite, or home, home dog, same thing I said about Houston BYU, Gamecocks knock off the Tigers. South wow. Carolina wins tomorrow on that one. All right, Tim, Kentucky at Tennessee, 18th-ranked Vols 2-1, and one, Kentucky 1-2. One and two. Tight spread, just under a touchdown for Tennessee in this one. I think that's probably about right, uh, but give me the Vols. Uh, Rocky top and all that
3: jazz. Uh, I know that I, I'm probably not as big uh, anymore on Jeremy Pruitt's butch. Um, as it was at the beginning of the season. But that being said, I, I still think that they have just enough to get it done against Kentucky, who I, I don't think is that stellar of a football program, but I, I, I could be wrong.
4: Mark Stoops would beg to differ. He's got a really solid front on the offensive side of the ball. Kentucky should be able to run the ball against Tennessee. I think it's enough for the upside. Give me the cats.
0: Woo. I think that checkered board end zone will be busy tomorrow with volunteers. I like Tennessee in this one. I'm gonna volunteer myself
1: to pick Kentucky. I I, I think they kind of oh. they uh, they put a lot of effort into last week. They played really tough for a long time against Georgia, um, but I I just don't see I don't see it. I don't trust Tennessee. I don't trust Coach Pruitt. Uh, I think Kentucky's defense is solid, and I think it's going to be enough to keep them in the game. And I think they they make one more play.
0: All right. Tim, you did pick already, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I yeah, okay. side with the balls. All right. Austin, this one's to you. A once-ranked Louisville Cardinal team now 1-3. Visits undefeated Notre Dame at 3-0, fourth-ranked in the country. The Irish a little bit more than a two-touchdown favorite.
4: I think that number four ranking is a little bit inflated. I wouldn't be surprised to see Notre Dame drop once everyone gets going. I was really high on Louisville coming into the year, but they have – consistently let me down both as a, a fan of that style of play and also in this segment. So I absolutely refuse to pick Louisville on personal ground, so give me the Domers.
0: I'm with you. Notre Dame, I think, wins. It's... it's They keep them at arm's length. They don't blow them out, but they keep them at arm's length. It's never a threat. Irish go to 5-0. Yeah, I think they... Oh, Tim you no, might I mean yeah Ben you know you know you
3: know the rules uh, I uh, always mean for <laughs> you I, I I'm with Austin I couldn't be
1: more out on Louisville right now I think Notre <laughs> Dame blitzes them I, I am I am very down on that program after what I expected from them this year
3: yeah uh, you know Louisville's come out flat and basically every single game they played one in three their only dub coming against Western Kentucky so give me our lady Notre Dame in this one
0: all right we all go Irish. 11th ranked AM coming off a huge upset of the Gators last week. Go to Mississippi State. The struggling Pirates are having a tough time right now at just 1-2. and two. This one scares me. A&M's AM's a 5 point favorite. I think they win, but I think this one's pretty tight, but I'll go Aggies. About
1: time we give Jimbo Fisher and those Texas a and Aggies some respect, right, after that, uh, that, that very thunderous post-game interview he gave TV following their upset. Last week over Florida, um, it'd be just like Mike Leach to win this one, right? I mean, everyone's writing you off. you're people are making fun of your offense. It's it would just be uh, like Mike Leach to pull this one out. I think I think a, a switch flipped with Kellen Mond. I think he had potential to be the best quarterback in the SEC this year. He didn't start out the season that way, but I think he's a really confident football player right now. I like A&M's uh, weapons around him too. So even if it is get a shootout i like um texas a&m's parts a little bit more and i i trust kellen mond a heck of a lot more than i trust kj costello right now
3: so give me the eggs yeah i think that was a breakthrough win uh for a&m last week i think they there's the team under jimbo that's been trying to kind of break that glass ceiling so to speak i think they finally did that with that win over florida um if you could see me now i got both thumbs up uh gig em and all that a&m's gonna win this one they're gonna win big
4: I think that game against Florida was a, a pretty good preparation for what they'll face this week. I took the over in sell over 1,000 yards. I called my shot on this game. Give me the points and give me the Aggies. Okay.
0: Ben, North Carolina, number five on the land, 3-0 and at a struggling Florida State team, one and three under the lights in prime time tomorrow night. Carolina nearly a two-touchdown favorite. Yeah, I talked about teams that I was out on or a team I was out
1: on in the ACC and I, and I thought Louisville lived in the basement, but, but as I found out that there was a storm cellar on the same property that digs just a little bit further below uh, where I think Louisville's at, and I think that's where the Florida State Seminoles reside. I, I thought North Carolina was slow out of the gate, and I thought Virginia Tech uh, was playing well enough to step up and pop them last week. They almost blew that huge lead, but it was a, it was a big bounce back for Sam Howell. Deami Brown had a big game. They had a 200-yard rusher. Uh, all those things lead me to believe that Carolina is going to win
3: because, let's be honest, they can, they can field a team of 11. They've got a good shot to beat the Knolls. <laughs> there, there are a lot of sad things in life, you know, like uh, maybe a puppy gets lost. Uh, maybe there's a, you go through a bad breakup. Uh, Florida State's right in there with a list of things that are sad. Uh, and North Carolina is also a solid football program. Uh, Tar Heels win this one big.
4: I hate picking them. I was really hoping they were going to blow a big lead, personally, but I did pick North Carolina last week. I'll double up on them this
0: week. Okay. Tim, I'm going Carolina, too. I think they win handily in this game. All right, Tim, you get to break down the the biggest matchup of the day, third-ranked Georgia undefeated, second-ranked Alabama undefeated, Tied a five-point favor in Tuscaloosa. Nick Saban still holding that hope of being on the sideline. He tested negative yesterday. If he tests negative today and tomorrow, he may be out there coaching tomorrow night. How about the Tide and the Dogs? Oh yeah. How accurate are these tests, by the way?
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Saban was the one strong-arming the Docs to be like, "Hey, you're gonna say this is <laughs> this is negative, right? Get him, put him in the booger mobile as he's put, roaming the sidelines." No, I. I think that whether Saban is roaming the sidelines or not, I'm taking the Crimson Tide in this one. It's going to be close. I think Alabama definitely has some questions, uh, especially on their defense, given all those points up to Ole Miss. Uh, That being said, I think that Alabama has an extremely dynamic offense, and uh, it's going to be a shootout, uh, but Alabama can go blow for blow with Georgia any day. Give me the Crimson Tide.
4: Nick Saban or Six Saban? I don't know which to go with this time. I really, really, really wanted to take Georgia, but then I remembered it's Georgia. They'll do something to Georgia this game away at the end. So I'm Crimson Tide.
0: Yeah, I got the tide by double digits in this game. It'll be close. It'll be entertaining. I'm going to watch, but it's the tide as the winner. I like Alabama big as
1: well, and here's why. I watched Ole Miss's offense last week, and they had a very good game plan. I mean, the the, the stuff that that Kiffin was running was was creative. They had the athletes to do it. Unbelievably athletic quarterback with Corral. Running back had a a career day. Receivers making big-time plays. I don't know that Georgia has those weapons and can replicate what Ole Miss did um, last week. Now, I do think that Georgia's defense is – on another level, uh, on, a, on another stratosphere, is what Ole Miss can run out there. So I do think that I don't. Tim said it's going to be a shootout. I don't think it's a shootout. I'm envisioning like a 27 to 10 type game with with Bama winning. I I do think that they move the ball on Georgia, but I just don't know if I trust a guy like Stetson Bennett and some of those young parts around Georgia that can that can move the ball on Bama. I think I think we might have seen a little bit of an anomaly last week with with Bama's defense. So. Um, I'm going to take the Tide. I feel pretty
0: confident that they're going to win. Clean sweep. We all go with the Tide. All right, Austin, to wrap it up, Boston College, 3-1. and one, A couple of really good wins for the Golden Eagles against 23rd-ranked Virginia Tech. They're 2-1. and one. The Hokies favored by almost two touchdowns.
4: Two touchdowns seems a little high. I believe Virginia Tech in the 9 to 10 range. Boston College does a great job of making games ugly and hard to watch. Virginia Tech's offense has been pretty solid this year, 45 points, 38 points, another 45 to almost come roaring back on the road in Chapel Hill. I think they get some home cooking in Blacksburg and win this one by, I think, not 9 or 10. Line.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I like the Hokies in this one. I think it's a, probably a double-digit win. I, I'm impressed with what Virginia's looked like so far this year. Give me the Hokies in this one. I'm a little bit
1: empty. I'm a little worried that they shot their clip empty last week with uh, with North Carolina with that shootout. But, um, again, Boston College isn't flashy. They're going to muddy this thing up. But I, I do trust Virginia Tech. I think you might see a, um, a typical Virginia Tech-type win. Maybe they block a punt for a touchdown or something crazy like that. Um, that and that, that could end very well end up being the difference against a team like Boston College. I picked the
3: Hokies last week. They let me down. They better not do it again. Virginia Tech one more time. (laughs) Uh, Well, my my mind says pick Virginia Tech. They're the home team. They're a solid program. But uh, my heart says Boston College. I'm siding with BC on this one. I think they're going to get it done. It's going to be rough. It's going to be ugly to watch it at times. Uh, It's not at Chestnut Hill, but still, uh, I think Boston College does just enough. Maybe they get a bad call or two in their favor. Uh, But they'll get it done one way or the other.
0: Boston College wins this one. Tim Cohn a shot going with the BC Eagles. Going with the night. Boston
1: team, his Patriots, his yeah, Red Sox, yeah, his yeah. Bruins. Just, just that New Irish England Catholicness
0: roots. In, the, in the blood that I, I gotta side. I gotta homer it up. All of the above. We'll see how we fare in our picks when we add them all up for next week. About halfway through our Friday night program.
1: Motoring right along. Just broke down some college football that's on tap. Here this weekend, we switch gears now and talk the Shield National Football League as we do each and every Friday with our good friend Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, no Thursday night football to talk about this week. Instead, we had Tuesday night football. I think that means we're just a Wednesday game and a Friday game away from completing the bingo of the days of the week with games this year.
5: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think at the beginning of this, everybody you know, sort of anticipated, you know, there'd be positive tests. I mean, we knew there would be positive tests. That's one thing that um, Dr. Alan Sills had mentioned many times before the season began. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and we all knew that, but seeing the adjustments that have needed to be made uh, just because of the schedule and, you know, COVID-19 related issues has been astounding from, you know, moving a Sunday game to a Monday or to a Tuesday or a Thursday game to a Saturday or a Monday. I mean, it's, you know, it's really been incredible. And, you know, I think anyone who is rigid or, you know, inflexible is not going to do well this year because, you know, you need to be able to play without practicing much. You need to be able to get out of your routine. I mean, all of these things that players and coaches fight against so hard is something they need to be, you know, ready for now. I mean, it has been no doubt about it, a very different kind of year.
1: Ian, what's the process of going through rescheduling? Who's in charge of it? How how does it work? And and how do they come up with a solution?
5: Well, there's a guy by the name of Howard Katz at the NFL who is in charge of, um, who's in charge of scheduling. And, you know, he does the original schedule and usually he does the schedule and then that's it. He can kind of chill for a little bit. Um, That is obviously not the case this year. I mean, (laughs) They have done so much gymnastics, it's just incredible. So basically what happens is there's a committee of of elders, coaches, GMs, uh, other advisors, you know, former, and they, you know, take a look at all the facts. They take a look at the positive tests, and they see, you know, basically like does a game need to be moved? All right, if it does need to be moved, fine. Where do we move it? You know, what do both teams have a corresponding buy? And they kind of go through that whole process. And, you know, as of now, they have not added a week 18 to kind of aid in, in um, you know, scheduling. But it is something that at some point they may have to do. As of right now, it's just kind of move things around in their slots and kind of go from there.
1: Talking with Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Ian, typically we talk uh, about Thursday games, as we mentioned before. That's, that's out the window, but we can talk about some shifting of bodies with Le'Veon Bell moving to Kansas City. Yeah. Sounded like there, there wasn't a great trade market for him, otherwise they would have picked him up. What was this process like for New, New York? And obviously some, some friction between Le'Veon and the front office to, to get to this result. Walk us through how, how this came to be.
5: Well, let's start with the friction part of it because, you know, that, I mean, obviously was there. We saw Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell sniping kind of across the media with Bell not really being used as he wanted and um, Gase being frustrated that Bell took to social media to do it, you know, in weird kind of ways, liking all the comments where people say he should be used more in the past game. But, you know, all of this stemmed from frustration with, Bell not being productive. I mean, his frustration, Gase's frustration, that's what this was all about. So, you know, the contract was already enormous. Not really something Adam Gase wanted. Certainly not something Joe Douglas, the general manager, wanted. Gase was here when they gave that contract. Douglas was not. So, you know, the organization was not tied to him. Um, So when it came to kind of a public squabble and Bell was not productive, then they were like, all right, let's see if we can try to trade him. You know, they tried last year during the trade deadline, did not happen, had no offers, tried again very aggressively. And they called, you know, a lot of teams um, about, you know, trading for Le'Veon and nobody was interested. Nobody would take on the salary. Nobody would take on the 2021 injury guarantees where he would get paid if he got injured, all of that. So they just said, uh, you know what, release him and. He signed a little one-year deal with the Chiefs. Uh, You know, I think it's a good spot for him because either, you know, he won't be productive and they will probably release him or won't use him a ton or he'll reinvent himself and get ready for another payday. It didn't work out with the Jets, but it doesn't mean it can never work out.
1: I think there's a lot of confusion, Ian, with people. Uh, I mean, I'm a Chiefs fan. Talk with other Chiefs fans about how the contract works. Um, with a trade and how it works with a, an outright release and then what Kansas City has to do, because that's been a huge story really since the offseason with Brett Veach is working the salary cap. How does this work with New York straight releasing him and then Kansas City signing him to the one-year deal? Well,
5: right, let's start with the New York part of that. So he was due you know, more than $10 million this year. It's fully guaranteed. So the first two years of his four-year free agent contract are fully guaranteed. He gets it no matter what. So Bell gets that money. Then there's injury guarantees for 2021. In other words, if he got injured this season on his current contract, he would be guaranteed some of the money. The Jets do not have to pay that, and Bell now won't get it. Um, Because he can claim termination pay, which is something you can claim one time in the NFL in your career, um, he gets his current contract plus whatever the Chiefs pay him. Now, the Chiefs aren't you know, expected to pay him a lot. It's not, you know, it's not a huge contract, but it's probably more than the minimum. Um, so he gets that in addition to the money that he was guaranteed from the Jets. The Jets get nothing except they don't have to see him around the building anymore, which I think is probably for them a win as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cl- clarification there because uh, sometimes the contracts can be confusing and especially Kansas city with the, uh, you know, how close they've been tightroping that salary cap, nice to clear that up um also wanted to get an update from you i mean I, I, anybody that listens to our show knows i am not a, a cowboys fan by any stretch of the imagination in fact i make fun of them quite a bit but that was as heart-wrenching and, and sad of a, of a of a story situation as i've ever seen on a football field emotional yeah. last week with dak prescott um, looked like he took to twitter and posted a video seemed to be in good spirits How are things going in Dallas with him, with the front office, with Dak himself, with just an absolutely – I'm just going to call it a tragic situation?
5: Yeah, um, you know, I I would say I don't have a ton of really close relationships with players because, you know, I'm not in locker rooms anymore and I talk to a lot of agents and coaches. Dak I happen to know and really like, um, and he's such a good guy. And to see that happen to him was – you know. It was heartbreaking, and I had to explain that to my sons who were watching as well. Um, You know, just a really, really difficult situation. Now, he's not, you know, he's not dead. Um, He's going to be back. He's going to be an injury. He has an injury that will allow him to be back at 100% by the end of next year. Um, But still, I found myself just feeling horrible about it. Um, That is kind of, you know, when you're a good person and you're a great player as well, I think that's what kind of gets that feeling. So now they have Andy Dalton. you know, coming into play, he's one of the better backups in the NFL. Um, So I think, you know, they probably got a lot of flack for signing him are probably happy to do it now. Um, So, you know, that's one thing where I don't like, if you have a, you know, if you're in the NFL and you sign a backup quarterback, the only thing you want to do is not have to cancel your season if it goes badly. That is the position they're in right now. They don't have to cancel the season as far as Dak himself. You know, this probably means he's going to get the franchise tag next year again, and then we'll see what happens in July because, you know, do they do a long-term deal with him or not? So I don't think it affects him that much contract-wise unless health-wise it doesn't work out as he hopes.
1: Yeah, well said. Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network is our guest. Uh- a couple of years ago, Ian, I was all aboard the Cleveland Browns hype train talking about how their offense was going to be as good as Kansas City's. They bring in OBJ, Jarvis Landry, uh, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, David Njoku. I mean, this this was the next best thing, and they they fall right on their face. But they're 4-1 and one right now. How legit yeah. are the Browns, especially after what they did to Indianapolis last week?
5: I think they're really legit. I mean, to me – you know, there's a couple of things that when you're trying to rate or judge a football team, you can, you know, you can sort of take to the bank, right? Like defenses don't go in slumps. So if you have a great defense, it's not just going to not show up one day. It doesn't really work like that. I think run games are kind of similar, right? Like the Browns are, you know, they're physical in the run game. They run it on anyone. They have Kareem Hunt, who took the place of, of Nick Chubb, done a really nice job. Um, they can run it on anyone. So even if they're not at their best on defense, passing game, I still think they can run it. That, to me, gives them some staying power. I mean, this is kind of the team that I think the Browns wish they would have, you know, like for years. I mean, this is the team they hope to build. Just took a while, and they needed to find the right coach, and they made a couple wrong turns a couple places, but um, they look to me now like they're in a really, really, really good place. Uh, and I don't think they're going away anytime
1: soon. Talk about physical running games—that's what we've seen from Tennessee for a while. Four and zero for them. How it seemed like they're kind of us against the world type mentality with what we've seen since the their situation with the league and the and the protocols. What what kind of feeling are you getting from Tennessee about uh, their attitude as a franchise, considering the last two weeks that they've had?
5: I was really surprised by their attitude. You know, I mean what we all in the media reported was what the NFL and the NFLPA were looking into, investigating, reviewing, however you'd want to say it, about their potential COVID-19 violations. You know, like, it I don't think anybody made it up. I don't think anyone meant it like they were out to get him. It was just simply, this is what the NFL is looking into. And they kind of took it like, you know, everyone's discounted us. Everyone's rushed us off. They've talked trash about it. It's not really like that. No, I mean, I don't personally don't really care. You know, whatever – If you're an NFL team or a player, whatever it takes to motivate you, like, great, I'll take it. You know, take whatever perceived slights you want. I just didn't think those were actually there. Um, But, you know, I mean, if that's what Tennessee feels, the bottom line is they barely practiced for two weeks and came out and just beat the heck out of a really, really good Bills team. Um, So, you know, you do that, you get to talk, and, you know, they've basically gotten a restart here, and everything seems to be on track for them.
1: Ian, we'll let you go with uh, one quick update in Denver. Melvin Gordon's had a heck of a week. Apparently he's sick, and, and uh, the reports of uh, a DUI. How, how are the Broncos going to gonna handle him, both with the off-the-field incident and, and the illness right now? Like, what, what's, what's best-case scenario for Melvin Gordon in the next week?
5: Well, you know, he was ill with a non-COVID-related illness today, so he did not practice. Could potentially play in the game Sunday. That's going to be interesting to see. Now, remember, with a DUI, it's an automatic suspension. So, the league is going to discipline him. So, usually, not always, but I'll just say usually, teams allow the league to do that, and that's how it gets handled. So, you know, it would be not unprecedented, um, but it would be a little surprising if the Broncos also discipline him, knowing he's going to get disciplined from the league. Uh, but we will see how that plays out. It sounds like he really took some accountability, um, took a lot of accountability for his actions this coming week when it came to inside the Broncos' building.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting situation. We'll see how that plays out in Denver. It's the last thing they need right now, another star off the field with the the season they've had, Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com with us here on Sports Nightly. Ian, thanks so much for the update. Appreciate you giving us a few minutes. Look forward to talking again next week. Enjoy the games this weekend, man.
0: Man, that is our best bumper music right there. Love that. Gets me in the mood for a little weekend. We're here, right? The preview coming up in a few minutes. We'll have our weekend review put together by Josh Hokeman toward the end of the hour, and then we'll have our winners and losers of the week. Looking forward to that little category. But let's get it launched with the preview. It's time for the weekend preview. The part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend. Come in, watch. It'll be a good one. Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Ben McLaughlin.
1: All right. Well, there is stuff on here, but sadly Uh enough, some boxes getting closed out. And every passing week of Major League Baseball, we're getting closer to the World Series, and that will be taken off. So... Uh, We're we're doing what we can we're getting by and and hopefully very soon the college basketball season will start and we'll add a few boxes for the first time in a while so relatively sparse but we'll jump into what's on tap here anyway starting first with college football as we always do beginning right out of the chute at 11 number one Clemson at Georgia Tech who is two and two Uh, this one on ABC as we mentioned Clemson nearly a four touchdown favorite and this one on the heels of beating the Hurricanes last week, any any potential of a sleepwalk 11 a.m. kick on the road? Possibly.
0: Uh, there's just such a big talent gap in this one. I, I they could struggle and win still by double digits. Yeah, and that's. I, I'm guessing most see that happening.
1: Speaking of Miami, they're looking their wounds after last weekend. They're at home taking on Pitt, who is three and two. Kane's nearly a two touchdown favorite in this one. Kenny Pickett, De'Arcy King, the quarterbacks going head to head to head. Uh, down in Coral Gables, so we'll see how that one unfolds. We'll go to the SEC for the next couple at 11 a.m. on ESPN. 15th-ranked Auburn at South Carolina, who is just one and two, but just a three-point favorite uh, for Auburn on the road against South Carolina. You call for the upset. What do you? Yeah. What do you like about South Carolina in this game?
0: Well, I just the, the, they. Been so close. They should have had – they were right there with Tennessee a couple weeks ago. It's more of what I don't see from Auburn, Ben. It's really – that's where I'm – I'm not – I don't love what I've seen from Auburn the last couple of weeks. Really got stoned in their game with Georgia, and then we're fortunate, got a great break with a bad refereeing call, or they lose at home to Arkansas last week. That's more – it's more what I don't like what I see from Auburn than what I love about South Carolina. Yeah, easily could be one and two right now. Sticking in the SEC, also at 11,
1: this one on the SEC Network. You have Kentucky, who is one and 1-2, against 18th-ranked Tennessee, who is two and 2-1. Garantano had uh, a decent day for the first half, and then the wheels just fell off for Tennessee in the second half against Georgia. It's hard, it's hard for me to really gauge Tennessee. They had that tough game with South Carolina. Uh, they played Georgia tough for a half, and then they get blown out. So I don't really know how to handicap
0: Tennessee right now. Yeah, this is a bit of a toss-up game to me, too, because I think Kentucky's a little better – than their record says right now. This will be fun. This, these two don't like each other. It's a pretty good rivalry game tomorrow, but in, in that case, you tend to lean toward the home team. right? All right, at one thirty on NBC,
1: you have Louisville in South Bend taking on the fourth-ranked Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Uh, Golden Domer is nearly a 17-point favorite in this one at home. I don't see Notre Dame stumbling here, but who knows? You know, there's some athletes out there for
0: Louisville. I just Their, their defense is just really bad. They've, they've been disappointing, haven't they? The Cardinals, the Irish just kind of plug right along, do what they need to do, and I think that'll be the case again tomorrow. They struggled against Duke in the opener, but ever since then they've been rolling. At 3
1: o'clock on ESPN, 11th ring Texas A&M on the heels of an upset over Florida. How about that? A&M all the way up to 11 in the polls after that victory over Florida. They'll take on Mississippi State who had the big win against LSU and they've lost two straight including Arkansas and last week they lose. So how about two losses to Kentucky and Arkansas? Probably the two easiest games on their schedule, Greg. And now they're at home taking on the Aggies.
0: Interesting start to the year for Mississippi State. And that's kind of Mike Leach's career, right? The, able to pull off the upset, but they've been br- brutal on the offense the last two weeks. I mean, well, they scored two points against Kentucky, and they couldn't move it hard at all against Arkansas. I, you know, the, the only way they do this is if A&M's been patting themselves on the back all week, and that's possible. That is possible that A&M has just been a little high on the hog after beating Florida last week and isn't quite ready to go, and that may make this interesting. But, boy, Mississippi State has not looked good the last two games. They have not. And a bunch of interceptions last week for Costello. All
1: right, getting into the night game, six thirty on ABC, North Carolina, all the way up to number five, Greg. Man, fifth-ranked that's... North Carolina in Tallahassee taking on the Seminoles, who are 0-3 in ACC play and their only win coming against Jacksonville State, a game in which they were trailing by two touchdowns. Fifth
0: ranked North Carolina. How about that? Seems awful high, doesn't it? And and, you know, we we don't we still because the Big Ten isn't playing, we don't really have much to compare them with. But I I've watched a little bit of them. I like their team, but I don't think they're top five. I I think they're barely a top ten team. But that's not going to matter tomorrow. Talked a little bit about
1: this on Monday, but seriously, what's what's going on in Tallahassee, and and how big of a project is this for Coach Norvell? And if it's not him, whoever else takes over.
0: How many coaches are – is he the second guy or the third guy removed from when Jimbo left? Well, they had Charlie, Taggart. Charlie, Taggart, and now, the, now him. Or was there somebody else after Taggart? Um, Norvell's now – it might have just been Taggart to Norvell. That That's probably right. Because it's only been – Jimbo's only been A&M three years, right? So it's probably just been those two. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think also, well, that out yeah that us. that's it yeah but that's it that has just to those be two it. guys, yeah 'cause they but but they cut loose Taggart early in a year, right, so they had an interim guy for a while, I think yeah, maybe? uh yeah, they did, I think for like half the season, like
1: six yeah. games maybe okay, and then Taggart had had two seasons, and then um. Coach Norvell, so, yeah, Jimbo was there, You're I think, right. for like seven or eight years. Just
0: can't get it going. Tennessee's been in that kind of same rut, too, for a while, though they're making some progress. But I don't I don't see this team digging out this year. I think it's a mess down there. It is. Okay, this is the game that you were alluding to earlier about having your excitement.
1: I think this is everybody's game that they're, that they're pointing to. Uh, the big one circled on the calendar for tomorrow, 7 o'clock CBS – third ranked Georgia second ranked Alabama I've already seen some talking heads saying yeah this could be a uh, uh, a, you know the rematch of the SEC championship game and they're already saying Greg that the loser of this game is not eliminated from the playoff it makes me sick that we're already pigeonholing this this conference as a you know a one loss team getting in there but here yeah here we are but anyway back to the game how do you see this thing going
0: uh, t- Georgia's defense will let them hang around on this thing, but Alabama's just a little bit more well-rounded football team, and they're the home team. That, that'll that ultimately end it, but I, I'm looking forward to watching. You're going to see a lot of great athletes out there. You're going to see two really well-coached football teams. Uh, that That's what will intrigue me is what, what's the chess match like in this deal?
1: Yeah, I'm seeing like a 31-17, 31-24 yeah. type game um, with Bama coming out on top, but yeah, Nick Saban. It's, it, it helps them that it's a home game. Imagine if this was a road game. There's no way uh, he would be there for that. Also, at 7 o'clock in the ACC, Boston College and 23rd ranked Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. Vatek, a two, two touchdown, 14 point favorite in this one. Each team with one loss entering the game. If you're needing a refreshment, the game's postponed this weekend with top 25 teams. Seventh-ranked Oklahoma State and Baylor, that was postponed. Baylor is a mess right now with COVID. Eighth-ranked Cincinnati and Tulsa has been banged, as has LSU and 10th-ranked Florida. Uh, it's the Gators on the receiving end of that one. Quite the the change in philosophy we've seen from Pack the Swamp uh, starting on Sunday from Dan Mullen to right now where uh, that game is just not happening.
0: Yeah, and, you know, that that team – you had two teams really struggling. I mean, you had Florida probably really smarting from losing to A&M, and LSU just had to be they're, – they're up in arms in Baton Rouge after losing to Missouri. Awful defense last week for LSU. And then to have first and goal at the one with a chance to win the game and you can't get it in the end zone? Crazy stuff for LSU. You yeah, called it, though. We had them ranked in our preseason top 25 at 11, and you said that is way too high for LSU. Yeah, I don't even I think I don't even think I expected them to be this
1: bad, but man, they are just not having a good season. Okay, let's turn the page to the National Football League. Just heard from Ian Rappaport last hour, gave some updates on these games starting first at noon, the Texans and the Titans. Tennessee coming off a very short week, a Tuesday night game with Buffalo. Just a three and a half point favorite against the
0: hmm. one and four Texans. How you see this one going? Hmm. Texans are better than their record, right? I mean, can't we agree on that? I mean, I, I just think that their uh, that schedule was brutal for them. Now, can they piece this together? They got a little momentum of the win last week, but I still don't quite I don't see them winning that game, even though I think they're better than that record.
1: Yeah, you? I don't know. I don't know how good their defense is. I, I they yeah. have a lot of question marks on that side of the ball and Tennessee's a really confident group right now. Yep. Also at noon, you've got the Bengals and the Colts. Austin Orman's fighting Indianapolis squad, a seven and a half point favorite against Joe Burrow. This this offense has really slowed down for Cincinnati in recent weeks. I think uh, three straight three hundred yard games for Burrow to start, and um,
0: you know the last few have kind of welcomed to the show a little bit. He's going to get beat up as this year goes along, boy. How about the the Ravens? Defensive coordinator is really upset that the Bengals kicked that late field goal to avoid the shutout the week before. It's going to be a long season in Cincinnati. Colts are a little bit better than some people think. Austin's going to have a team I think is going to be in this playoff hunt here in a month. I don't know. I'm not i am
1: not just saying this because they're Austin's team. Their really first chance for that defense against anybody substantial was last week against Cleveland, and they ran through them like a knife through butter. So. I I need a little prove it to me with, with Indy and I don't know that uh this is gonna have this is gonna have a significant impact on the Colts season with a win over the Bengals, but we'll see. I know they've been banged up on that side of the ball. Uh, Darius Leonard's been been banged up and they're still dealing with some injuries, and they still have Phillip Rivers as a quarterback, which is guaranteed he's, spotting the team seven points for a pick six at least once he, a week. So he's just fine. He's He's got a wet noodle for an arm right now. (laughs) And, and yeah, and and plus Indy's banged up at the wideout position. They're going to have to find a way to to be Indianapolis and get the ground game going and just wear teams down because Phillip Rivers is just not the answer. Austin, you care to hop on here and elaborate on your Colts and and give us a breakdown? I I feel like offensively um,
4: they're going to need to start figuring things out and shorten some games up. The offense is an absolute mess. Phillip Rivers was personally responsible for nine points in the game. The Colts lost by nine. They're only rushing for four yards a carry, which is not great. Jonathan Taylor's starting to figure some things out, but not near to the level that the Colts need. And defensively, last week, Baker Mayfield was two for nine for 19 yards in the second half. Colts defense came up big. Offense couldn't get it done. Two touchdowns in the Colts last 22 offensive drives. I am officially worried.
1: Yeah. Bad, bad, bad deal for the offense. But it will get better, I think. I, I, Austin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know the Colts' schedule gets easier, right? These next five or six games starting. No, start it to
4: doesn't. It gets, gets harder. They still have Green Bay and Pittsburgh. All the divisional games left. Two against the Titans. It's only uphill from here, unfortunately.
1: Oh, man, I maybe mean, I was thinking of a different team. I was thinking it would get a little easier for them. But okay, they should they should get this one. They should get the one against Cincinnati. Noon on Fox yeah. there. All right, also at noon on Fox, Falcons and Vikings combine one and nine between these two powerhouses. <laughs> First game for
0: Atlanta without Dan Quinn as a head coach. And they should have a couple of wins. Those those fourth quarter collapses against the Cowboys and the Bears, inexcusable. He should have been let go then. They held on to him far too long. But because they've been able to build some leads, I think there's some ability there for the Falcons. Here's my here's my assessment of the Falcons. Defense, bad. Defense you know? equals bad.
1: Matt Ryan hasn't thrown for a touchdown in the last two games, which is crazy to think. Todd Gurley started to get it going, which is a huge positive for Atlanta. If you're also looking for a silver lining, Julio Jones uh, is going to play this week. And that didn't sound like he was really yeah. all that injured. So, I mean, you're getting Julio back. That will make Matt Ryan better. That should make the offense better. But Gurley's getting going. I mean, he's had a couple of really nice games in a row for Atlanta but the problem with the Falcons is they're going to have to score 40 to win because their defense is atrocious. Agreed. Not have been a good week for the Broncos or the Patriots for different reasons. The Broncos starting running back gets a DUI with Melvin Gordon and then uh, is sick, misses practice to an illness, non-COVID related. They do get Phillip Lindsay back, but Denver just can't keep anybody healthy, can't keep people in trouble with the law. Um, it's, it's just been a, kind of a disaster for Denver to start the year. Sure has. Um,
0: I feel for him. I don't.
1: I don't either. And I don't feel <laughs> for the team that they're playing in New England, who also had uh, a bit of a scare today with another positive test. But uh, they are 2-2, two and two, favored by 9 against
0: Denver at home in Foxborough. There's still a little question, Ben, whether that game happens or not because of the positive test the Patriots had today. So monitor that. That thing could get banged before
1: Sunday. Keep in mind, Denver's game last week was postponed uh, because of a COVID test. So we'll see if uh, they can get it shaked out here this week. And remember, as Ian said, for you Melvin Gordon fantasy owners, DUI is a guaranteed suspension. Yeah. So we'll find out, you know, later on what what the punishment is for the Denver tailback. All right, noon on Fox. Could probably skip this one too. The one in four Washington football team against the zero and five Giants.
0: Puke. Yeah, move on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also at noon, um, on CBS, you've got the four and one Ravens against the one three and one Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia uh, was down by as many as twenty plus against the Steelers last week. Mount a little bit of a comeback, but they surrender four touchdowns to rookie Chase Claypool, and they are just one win into their season with a tie on their hands as well. Carson Wentz has not looked very good, Ben. No, no, and that's an understatement. I know he's not throwing to anybody. But either is Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> and he's still finding a way to look pretty good. <laughs> also at noon on CBS, the four and one Cleveland Browns against the Pittsburgh Steelers, undefeated at four and zero. I asked Ian
0: about this game. What's your take on Cleveland? Um, getting better now. Baker's hurt. There's still some questions whether Baker Mayfield can go on Sunday. And Odell Beckham left the facility a couple days ago. It didn't feel well. They don't. They don't know if it's COVID. He's tested. Uh, they, they're waiting on the results back on that. But they are better. The, the, there's some there's some talent running around out there, but Pittsburgh, and I said this a month ago, Pittsburgh getting Big Ben back, the, the, they're a legit AFC title contender again with him and what all the other parts that the Cedars have.
1: Bears-Panthers, noon on Fox, Carolina, a small favorite in that one. It's a good matchup. Also, yeah, not bad. Uh, also at noon on Fox, Lions and Jags. That's not a great matchup, two one-win teams there. Uh, going at it okay the evening games the late games starting at 305 the Jets at 0-5 and now Le'Veon Bellis will take on the Dolphins who are two and three that one on CBS I think most of us will watch um, the other evening game so keep in mind just with all the, with the postponements and everything there's just two games uh, uh three, at, at, the, at the at the evening session the 305 game with the jets and the dolphins the 325 matchup it's a good one green bay and tampa bay yeah uh down in the state of florida on fox sunday night football 715 carry underwood explains to us how the rams and 49ers will go uh rams at four and one niners at two and three los angeles is a three-point favorite in that one. Two Monday night games, a 4 o'clock Central time kick. How about that? 4 o'clock on Monday, the Chiefs and the Bills uh, in Orchard Park. I don't think I'll ever be a part of something like that on Monday. And that leads up to another great matchup on Monday night, the Cardinals and the the now Andy Dalton-led Dallas Cowboys at 7.15. So interesting NFL schedule. Yeah, that's good. Moving on to baseball, depending on results for today, it appears that the, uh, the Astros will force an if necessary game. Let's just assume that uh, none of the series end tonight and we have action tomorrow. It'll be the Braves-Dodgers with game six at 338 on FS1 and a game seven at 737 at TBS, on TBS in San Diego between Houston and Tampa. Well,
0: it seems like a silly question, but who you like in both of these? Well, I still go with the Rays. I mean, uh, it, even if Houston wins tonight, I know they'll have the momentum, but that's three straight. It's hard to beat a really good team four times in a row. So I'm still going the Rays, and I like the Braves. I think it's the Braves and the Rays in the series next week. That'd be an interesting uh, interesting yeah, dynamic
1: there. Would be. In, uh, in the World Series. We'll finish up with some golf. They're playing at Shadow Creek in Vegas. Shoffley with the lead. Uh, keep an eye on that. Decent little field. Justin Thomas in the top ten right now at six under, but – uh, Shoffley with a three-shot lead and everyone kind of looking at him right now. So, decent little tournament. You got some some heavy hitters in there. Matsuyama, Jason Day, John Rahm, et cetera. Uh, Sergio, Fowler all going at it in Vegas this weekend.
0: Limited field. DJ got balanced. He tested positive for COVID early in the week. So, he's asymptomatic but can't play. He would have added to that field. But, yeah, good little field. Lightweight unification fight tomorrow on ESPN. They've been promoting that like crazy. That's Lomachenko and Lopez getting where to square off you got a nine-year age difference between those two. Lomachenko is 32, Lopez 23. Give me the youth. Give me the young guy. Yeah, especially if
1: it goes later rounds. Man.
0: We're back. Sports Highly last few minutes of tonight's show, and that will wrap up the week as well. We always like to save our winners and losers to wrap up the week. Ben, lead us off with this little fun – Exercise. Yeah, my
1: winner of the week goes to former Nebraska baseball coach Darren Erstad. Plugged his first hole in one yesterday. Oh, come on, really? Jarred it, jarred <laughs> it, according to his wife. So, congrats to you, Darren. You uh well deserved. You got your one up on me now, which is a surprise to nobody. My loser of the week is is the Tennessee Titans. I I realize that they they're undefeated and they won, but their whole attitude and Ian and I kind of talked about this is really annoying like, like they're mad at reporters they're mad at the league for for them reporting and doing their jobs and doing what they were told and then it's like you know everyone's picking on you and nobody wanted you to win no no one do you wanted to do just shut down the NFL that's what we didn't want to have happen so yeah not well Tennessee's not not a franchise that I'm pulling for
0: right now don't don't go hold some offsite workouts totally yeah, against break league the protocols, protocols. right I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you. They, they, they've been snide in their reaction to this whole thing. Yeah, heck with them. Tim. Well, Ben stole my winner, uh, so that reflexively makes Ben my loser of the week for stealing my
3: winner. Whoa, but no, whoa, whoa. No, no I, well, actually, my, my loser of the week uh, is actually Kawhi Leonard, the, the story uh, servicing very recently that – he was uh, seeking some preferential treatment with the Clippers. He was living in San Diego part-time. He only got late, had to play like 57 games, was late for team flights. Now, ha- having said that, uh, I was talking to Austin during the break. I would totally accept preferential treatment uh, it given to me, but I'm still going to make fun of Kawhi Leonard for being a loaf uh, and, and generally rubbing his teammates the wrong way. He also apparently had the power to like dictate whether or not he could be pulled from games. Uh, he had that power over Doc Rivers. And they blew that lead against the Nuggets that they had Jeez. 3-1 in the playoffs. So the Clippers really are losers
4: all the way around, but so is Kawhi Leonard, my loser of the week. Mm, wow, okay. Austin. All right, I'll start with my winner. It comes from the Taiwanese Baseball Association. It's the Fubon Guardian center fielder, lin Chase Swan was his name. He did something I've never seen in baseball. So an opponent... Hit, hit one pretty deep to center field, and the center fielder, this Lind guy, jumped up, grabbed it, and then acted like he didn't do it. So the runner goes all the way around the bases. They put the the home run up on the scoreboard. As soon as he crosses home plate, center fielder throws the ball in. They take the run off the board. It was what? pretty funny. Yeah, there's a whole video on Twitter. I'll see if <laughs> oh, I can geez. find it and Holy share cow. it. Holy cow. So really clever. <laughs> I've never seen someone slow play it that long in baseball before. So – That guy is my winner for his creativity. Props to him for that one. And my loser is (laughs) Bronny James. So a while ago, Bronny signed with FaZe Clan, one of the more preeminent esports organizations. And so he's been a member of them for a while. And he was signed up to play in a Call of Duty tournament earlier this week with one Odell Beckham Jr. However, LeBron got home from the bubble and retroactively disciplined Bronny for posting a picture or video with a blunt on Instagram. So Bronny can no longer play in this tournament with OBJ.
0: Busted, man. Uh, dad's parents have eyes in the back of their head. They know all, right? They figure. Yeah, that Dad spent out. too much time in the bubble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got two winners, so I'll pick Tim up since he <laughs> failed to have a winner ready to go tonight. Uh, I'll go Taron Lou being a winner, being named the head coach of the Clippers. You. Tim, you beat them up pretty good, but at least they made the right hire, right? Teron Lou, former Husker, gets a second crack at being a head coach in the NBA. And my winner is James Carney, the young man from Norris High School who committed to Nebraska football earlier this week. What a big thrill for him. Congratulations, Tim. He had a one-handed touchdown catch earlier tonight in their game against Pius. I've already seen video of it. Gorgeous play. Happy for James Carney. He's my winner of the week. My loser of the week, I don't know if you guys have been following the story at Wichita State, but my loser of the week is Greg Marshall, their head basketball coach. All kinds of allegations coming out about abuse of players, punched a player a few years ago, uh, called people by their names, made fun of them, made racial jokes, ethnic jokes at players. There is no case for that. I can't believe he's still still right now the head coach at Wichita State. My guess is that isn't going to be there for long. Greg Marshall, my loser of the week. All right, guys, we did it. Another week in the books, our last week without Husker football. That feels pretty good to say, doesn't it? Heck yeah. We'll have press conference comments from Scott Frost on Monday's show. Monday's with Matt returns. As well. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and all of you for being a part of this one tonight. Enjoy your last Husker football free weekend. We'll get going. We'll crank it up for real starting on Monday. Have a great weekend. Good night.